off with a chart you just saw on the last, uh, last session, this overview chart, how relationships get damaged. And on the left side, you have your emotional issues. And on the right side, you have spiritual issues. It takes repentance to get free from spiritual bondage. And uh, for emotional issues, that needs to be cared about. And Jesus needs to bring healing. On the bottom, you have emotional issues again. Those are uh, abuse issues. And on the top, we have pressure patterns. Pressure patterns um, is emotional stress or pressure that can be put on a person that damages them. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, the top two. Performance expectations, dominance, and being controlled. Whenever you get pressure put on you, you have to do something with that. And everybody does something. Well, what is this uh, pressure to perform? Let's look at that one first. Performance expectations and uh, self-discipline. What are the characteristics of a person who uh, has high expectations and they're very highly disciplined. <clears throat> well, they want to accomplish. They're usually high achievers. They, they apply themselves. They're goal-oriented. They fulfill responsibilities. They take uh, great pride in that. Very disciplined. Everything has to be done right. They focus on what needs to be done uh, they always have a list, and they never get that list done. And if they ever got their list done, it wouldn't matter. They'd just make a new one because things like what needs to be done drives them. They can get frustrated when someone isn't disciplined and uh, may redo someone else's work if they're not satisfied. So that's the kind of the characteristics of a person who... Um, has high expectations and puts pressure on. And whenever someone gets damaged emotionally or you get pressure put on them, they always do something with that. Whenever we get a pressure, we do something with it. Nobody does nothing. We all do something in response to that. When you're abused, you, you have to do something with that. You'll respond to it in some way. And... Uh, Everyone responds. And here's a list of ways that we can respond to emotional pain. Uh, first of all, a person can emotionally detach. They just pull themselves away from it and they decide not to, not to feel that, whatever that pain is. They can dissociate uh, and even lose memory, not even remember what happened during that abuse or whatever it was. They can, thirdly, self-focus, and they get self-absorbed on their pain. They can control, dominate in a response to pain. You can take a person that's not dominant, but if they get pain, sometimes they'll react with dominance to protect themselves. They get angry. That's a response. When I got pressure like this, that's one of the things I did. I would get I would get very angry. Uh, critical, judgmental. That's another response. A person can just stop talking. They just go mute. The opposite can happen. A person can talk nonstop. I had a lady with her husband in my office, and this gal um, controlled and dominated, but part of that was she just talked non-stop and if I let her she would she would control the whole conversation and she would talk for the whole 15 hours and that was because she didn't want anybody to get close to her heart and she knew I was going to do that and uh, when I finally did try to uh, get to her heart a little bit she made it very plain we weren't going there and so that was what her talking she talked non-stop Drugs, alcohol, or lust, as we just heard, 
uh, can be a response to pain. Anybody who's an alcoholic is always covering pain. And same with drugs. Performance. They just work to cover all the pain. They lie to protect themselves sometimes. Defiance. Again, that was part of my response. I I learned how to defy. And I'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, Sometimes people become a clown to cover pain. They freeze up. Or sometimes they just walk away. Well, there's some ways that people respond to emotional pain. Well, how does a person respond to the pressure of high expectations? Well, if you're more of a a disciplined person, uh, that person will try to meet those expectations and become driven. You You try to make up to it. You try to go. So you just go, 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 and you can't relax. And that's what uh, will happen there. One person I had in, a very determined fellow, he also had spiritual abuse, grew up in a very religious home, but everything revolved around performance. It was about being productive. It was about being busy and uh, always had to be doing something, but there's no emotional connection. And one day this, uh, this fellow was about 12 years old and he was about a mile from home. He was walking, walking back home from somewhere and somehow he, he tripped, he fell, he, but he actually pulled his, his leg out of joint and it, and it dislodged out of his hip and uh, excruciating pain. Uh, a normal kid wouldn't have uh, gone anywhere. He would have waited for help. This guy was so determined and so driven, he, uh, he got up and walked home and limped home. When he got home, wasn't much sympathy for what had happened, and uh, he was recovering, but his mother was so driven herself, and she couldn't let her kids relax, and so while he's sitting there in this pain, it wasn't good enough just to sit there. So she taught him to knit while this thing was being healed and he learned to knit so he could knit now couldn't relax if a person is more impulsive and not so determined and self-disciplined like that and they get the pressure of high expectation they will do something different they will emotionally just shut down and they can do different things Um, they may dissociate even lose memory of what's going on They may get angry and and rebel against it or they just give up and get depressed. What's the use? Can't do it, so they get depressed. And again, that was even part of my uh, pain because I got this kind of pressure put on me. And I'll give you one example my dad was uh, self-employed. He, was, uh, in the, he had his own uh, seed processing plant. We had a fair bit of land to, to go along with that. We grew a lot of our own grain to process. And uh, I, I was about 12 years old. And, and uh, when we were combining, we would have to drive along beside the combine because my dad could never stop the combine because that would be a waste of time and that would... You, you just couldn't do that. You got to keep going. So you had to drive the combine beside, or drive the tractor beside the combine at the right speed so that <laughs> would hit the wagon. And we always had these old tractors. My uncles had a dealership, and, and we, we always get tractors from them. And we'd always get the trade-ins and, and just a piece of junk. That you, and everyone was different. So here I am, 12 years old. I had to get this new, this new tractor, new-to-me tractor, this old tractor, I'd have to get the gears all right, and sometimes you'd have a, a gas pedal, and sometimes you'd have a hand, pedal, or a hand gas thing. And, and it was something for a 12-year-old to get this to work. I remember one time I was doing real good. I was, combine was going, and I was driving the tractor. And I, and I slowly was losing ground on the combine. <laughs> and... I started to panic because my dad started to yell on the combine. Slow down. I, I couldn't even hear what he was saying. He was just yelling at me. And I, I just, my mind went blank. 
And I grabbed that gas, and I cranked it forward, <laughs> and I just took off down the field, and all the grain spilling on the ground. That was granular gold that I was wasting. And I'm tearing down the field, and my mind was blank. I didn't know how to stop this thing, or, and I'm just tearing. And I'm glad it was a big field. And finally, I just realized, okay, I've got to put the clutch in. So I put the clutch in and got myself. That's the kind of pressure I grew up with. And uh, I didn't respond very well to that. Well, if a person has a rejection problem and you add high expectations to it, what's going to happen? Rejection plus high expectations, they put pressure, expectations on themselves. And they're going to feel guilty if they don't do everything right. And they'll frustrate themselves and be angry at themselves. And they just experience more rejection. They're just not good enough and they can't accept themselves. Well, what are the pain words associated with uh, this? Well, you feel like you just can't do anything right. No matter what you do, it's just not good enough. Inadequate, incompetent, judged, overwhelmed, pressure, and stress. Well, what kind of prayer would you lead somebody through that's damaged with, with high expectations? Well, you're going to take the situation that they have particularly, but Jesus, my Father, put expectations on me I could, I could just never meet. Jesus, was that fair for a little boy to experience that? Wait to see what Jesus shows him. Jesus, what did that do to my heart? Can you bring peace to all that, Jesus? What would my heart look like if you brought peace to it? Is it okay if I just relax? Or what about a person who puts expectations on themselves? Jesus, I, I always feel like I can never do things good enough. What happened to me, Jesus, to make me feel that way? What did I go through? Why do I, have to, why do I feel like i got to do everything perfect? What do you want me to do with that, Jesus? Could you bring peace to all that damage there? And watch to see what Jesus shows. Well, what if I've damaged somebody else? And uh, I've certainly done that. Jesus, I've damaged my son by pressuring him with high expectations. Could you show me what I've done to his heart? Or if you're dealing with a husband and wife, could you show me how I've damaged my wife? And let God show him what he's done. And his heart will go out to his wife and he'll want to make those things right. Well, what are some affirmation words for dealing with high expectations? Just being accepted, affirmed. I just want you to relax. I don't want you to feel any pressure from me and my expectations. I got so used to working with my dad and my grandfather. It was a funny thing. If they, they were great people. I love my dad. He's in heaven today. But... Um, when we were on a coffee break, they were the greatest people to work with and be around. They just joke and have fun. When that coffee break stopped, it was all back to business, and you just couldn't make a mistake. Couldn't make a mistake. And I would go work for other people, and uh, I'd make a mistake, and I'd just freeze. And I remember I had a, a third or fourth cousin to me, and I went haying with him, and I'd make a mistake, and I'd just wait for him to start laying into me or reacting. And he just was the coolest guy. And I started to realize this isn't, this isn't normal. He didn't get all over me. He just accepted me and uh, didn't make me feel like I had to 
do everything that way. There's another pressure pattern we want to look at, and that's control and dominance. What are the characteristics of a person who dominates and controls? Well, they like to be in charge. And they exert pressure to have other, others do things their way. They take control of decisions, desires to dominate another person or persons. They can be bossy. They can be assertive and usually very insensitive to others. Now, there's nothing wrong with being dominant. It's when you mix it with other things. And uh, that puts the pressure on. It's what you mix with it. Well, how does one respond to being controlled? Well, one thing that can happen is they can acquiesce to the control and just go along with it, and they lose their identity. And that kind of person will have no opinion. Uh, they can't make a decision. And many times on the TJTA test, they'll be at 1%. You can't go zero, but they don't have an identity. They don't make decisions. Whatever you want me to think, that's what I'll think. They don't know who they are. And dominance and control will do that. That's those who acquiesce. Well, sometimes people just emotionally detach and they dissociate. They just take off emotionally. That's how they handle that pressure. And sometimes they get angry and rebel, become defiant. I'll never let anybody control me again. Heard a lot of people make that statement. I had one couple come in. These weren't believers. I'm not sure how they contacted our office, but um, they were married about 30, 35 years. They were separated. She desperately wanted the marriage. He did too, but um, they had... Uh, a lot of issues and this guy was a very controlling guy and so uh, when it got time for him to tell his story it was a very short story he had wonderful parents he didn't have any problems and he just made this very clear to me and to his wife sitting there he says I told my wife when we were married I do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me what to do he wasn't angry about it he just says that's the way I live that's the way it is and I want you to know Mr. Counselor <laughs> that's the way it is I do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me what to do well I had tried everything I knew how to help him get around that and we built a really good respect for each other but as we progressed through the week he never moved one inch off of that I do what I want to do, and nobody can tell me what to do. Somebody damaged him, but he would not let me pass that. He wouldn't let me go by there. And uh, you don't always get every case. I didn't get that one. And he's gone on to his reward now. And uh, I think his wife is remarried now. Oftentimes, the enemy can be attached to a statement like that. Um, when I took my training with John, I was being 2,000, and uh, he was dealing with a, a couple, and this guy was very abused by his mother growing up that he was working with, and, and uh, physically and emotionally. And I remember him saying, there was a point in his life, one time when his mother was going after him, he reached out and he grabbed her arm. He looked her in the eye and he says, I will never let you do this to me again. And from that point on, he didn't. Because every time she would try and abuse him, he would defy her. And defiance always wins. No rhyme, no reason to it. But it always wins. It gets its way. And when I was watching that, it all came to me, what had happened in my life. I have an older sister. She's the one playing the piano. And we, we laugh about this now. And, and she was a very controlling girl growing up. I was, she was two years older than I am. And uh, she would control me. And I don't remember a whole lot of that. I remember reacting to her 
a few times and this one time it was just me and her at home and she was the babysitter and I was just minding my own business I always did that and I went to the fridge to get something to eat and she says comes out what are you doing I says I'm just getting something to eat she says no you're not so she did her usual thing well for some reason I'd had enough I turned to her and I started swinging at her I started screaming at her I'd never done this before and I then I saw fear in her eyes so I went for it all the more and I got control and every time after that when she would do something to me I just kick into defiance and I'd win and it felt good because it stopped the abuse when I was in my training halfway through the training some of you have heard our testimony and I had to go to John and say John you know we're, we're just excited with everything we're learning but I think we need to sit with you too and so we had to sit with him I, we took some of his noon hours and uh, the night before well, let me back up let me explain what happens in the heart when something like that takes place like this fellow that stopped his mother's abuse I stopped my sister's abuse an enemy comes along a demon a spirit and communicates usually don't hear words but communicates I can help you with that all you have to do is defy I'll help you with it it's not right what she's doing and if we buy into the defiance and there's an enemy there that enemy will attach doesn't mean we're possessed if we're a believer we're possessed by the Spirit of God period but we can give ground to an enemy in our heart and he's there and in the case of that man in John's office every time his wife got close to that spot that his mother caused pain I would come defiance and whenever I got pushed emotionally to where my sister would push me um, I would just defy now my wife was the only one that saw that I was pastoring uh, but I wouldn't let anybody get close to me that that close enough to really hit that pain so I nobody would see that but we're pretty prepared to go in to see John and the night before we were going in to see him my wife were working on an issue my wife and I and I don't know what it was but we were locking harder and harder against each other and finally my wife said some unspeakable words she said well John said and soon as she said that I I just defied her I don't care what John says who is John And, and then the conversation's over and I win and I'm not I'm not proud of that but the next day John's leading me in prayer and at one point he just had me ask Jesus Jesus is there a defiant spirit here and as soon as I asked the question I knew there was and it was a simple thing Jesus would you call that defiant spirit to your throne I don't need him anymore I grew up in circles when you're dealing with demonic stuff it was very scary because it was portrayed to us as a power struggle and uh, when you're helping people you're going to run into this a lot it's not a power struggle and once you get that out of your heart and, and realize it's an authority issue strictly an authority issue if I have an enemy or a person has an enemy they're there by some authority they've given ground so they have authority to be there but they can't hurt you and that's pretty easy to deal with well there's two kinds of dominant people uh, some are born that way it's just part of their natural makeup if you put 10 people in a room together that don't know each other and you give them a task to do you're going to find your dominant people are going to come to the top and they're going to start saying okay so what do we need to do here what who wants to take notes they'll just start organizing it 
And uh, that's what makes the world go round. So uh, nothing wrong with dominant people. It's what you mix with it. So some people are born that way. And some people go dominant out of pain to protect themselves. It's an emotional response to, to pain. And abuse often makes someone dominant. Oftentimes, if you have an angry parent who's dominant, the child may go dominant just to respond to that pain and to protect themselves. A lot of couples are confused about how you work out dominance and submissiveness in a marriage. What if, the, if you believe in the biblical model that, that the Bible portrays in Ephesians 5, you know, the husband's ahead. But what if, what if the wife is more dominant? I had a couple come in uh, years ago, and, and they had an issue they had to decide on, and, and I forget what, doesn't matter what the issue was, but they both spent time alone before God praying about the issue, and uh, they came back together and really felt they had God's heart on the matter, but they were different. So they came to me and says, what's going on? I said, I think you're both right. Wasn't that a good political answer? <laughs> but here's what I meant. Here's what I explained to them. The whole passage where it talks about husbands, uh, the head of the wife, and uh, as Christ gave his life for the church, we lead our wives, and wives submit to your husbands. The verse before that whole passage is what we miss a lot, and it's submitting to one another. Now, how does that work? As I pastored uh, that church in Gory for 15 years, we got together as elders every month, and I wasn't the head of those elders. I was one of those elders, and we would get the uh, agenda for the, for the meeting, and we'd all think through, how are we going to deal with this issue? And so I would come to that meeting, and I'd think, here's what, here's what has to happen. Here's, here's what I see has to happen. And, and so I'd bring that. I'd pray about that. But then the other person, he would come up with different things. He, he'd come up with things I never thought of. And then the third person, he brought things, never entered my mind. Now, I brought things they didn't think of too. And what ended up happening, when you get seven men submitting to each other, you're going to come up with a decision about that issue, whatever it is, that no one person would have come up with. Why? Because we need each other. Nobody has all the decisions, all the insight to make a decision like that. And I think it's the same with the husband and wife. Yeah, the husband is the head of the wife. But I tell a husband, I want you to submit to your wife attitude-wise and go to her heart. And I want, her, I want you to understand everything she's thinking and feeling. She's going to bring all her gifts and her experience to that issue and what God shows her. And then I want you to go to your husband's heart, submit, submissive attitude, and I want you to understand everything he understands. And when you have a situation like that, I think a husband and wife are going to come up with decisions that neither one would have made on their own. And it's going to be the right decision. And very, very seldom will you be divided if you do that. And if, there, if you come to a decision, what, even after you've done all of that, and you still come and you still have a difference, well, that's when I think it's a responsibility of the husband to take the lead, and the wife would have to say, okay, God, here's, here's my heart on it. If a, if a decision has to be made, then that's the way I think that should go. Dominance is not a bad thing. Self-discipline is not a bad thing. It's when you mix it with other things. And here's some things that you can mix dominance with. Um, dominance plus high expectations is going to produce frustration. Dominance plus acceptance, on the other hand, a person is going to feel appreciation. So it's what you mix with dominance that can cause a problem. Dominance plus anger, a person is going to feel overwhelmed, but you put dominance with kindness, and a person is going to feel encouraged. 
dominance plus pride, a person is going to feel controlled. Put dominance with humility, and there's going to be an openness in the relationship. If you have dominance plus a lack of sympathy, a person is going to feel rejection. But you add sympathy with dominance, and a person is going to feel, feel loved. And if you have dominance plus rejection, a person is going to feel lonely. But dominance and acceptance, a person is going to feel respect and support. Well, can a person have more than one of these mixtures? Yeah. And that's where you really get into trouble. <laughs> one person uh, that came in for counseling, uh, very, very dominant. He, I think he was naturally dominant, but he had abuse and spiritual abuse added to that. And so he mixed dominance with high expectations. When he got dominant, he was angry. He was prideful. In fact, he, he was so proud, he would tell me how humble he was. And he was dead serious. And I have found that the, the worse of a problem pride is in a person's life, the less they will see it. Pride oozed out of this guy's pores. But he thought he was really humble. He also had no sympathy and he rejected his wife and his kids. And I would like to say that um, we resolve that. And again, you know what? You don't resolve every issue. You don't resolve every case. And uh, his wife took 20 years of just being beaten that way. And she finally, she finally just left. And that's the way it was. I remember when I first started and uh, counseling and at that time I would I would work with John with the TJTA and we'd fax those back and forth and he would help me understand all of that and uh, he looked at this one TJTA and and he remembered even talking to this guy who when he was up in Gory for the seminar we had after my training and and uh, he was pretty much like that he had those all all those mixtures there and so he, John warned me he says this guy will probably walk out on you, so you can't take this personally. And so he came with his wife, and everything was going along fabulous. And we actually got through all the preliminaries. We got to understand the problem. And we went to prayer to start resolve what was in his heart. And I started leading him in prayer. And I said, I can't believe this. I'm, I'm thinking this. He's actually going to his heart and we're going to get this stuff resolved. And God showed him a little boy who was pretty damaged. And he stopped. He looked at his watch says, I got to go to the washroom. And I had a feeling it was over. And... Uh, he came back about 10 minutes later, walked in the door. He says, you know what? I am sick and tired of this stupid counseling. What you need to do is fix my wife. And she's sitting there, and she was the sweetest gal you can't imagine. And I'm done with this. And, and he walked out. And again, when it, when it's, a, it's so difficult when they have all those things. But they ended up divorced. We moved our office this past uh, summer, and uh, a fella and his partner bought this building, and uh, they had they bought the building under the, the philosophy of providing hope, help, and healing to the community, and they're doing some really neat things, and one of the things they wanted was counseling. And this guy is a very dominant guy. He gets the job done. He owns a company. They, they build prefab houses, and... Uh, a fairly large company. But this guy is very dominant, but has none of those things added to it, and he is a joy to work with. He is so kind, but he does get the job done. Well, some 
times uh, people get very controlling parents and they get married and mom and dad still control and oftentimes people ask me so what do I do with my parents my mom she still she still tries to control us all the time and one couple came and this gal grew up in the southern states and and she uh, had a very dominant controlling mom and dad and and uh spiritually abused big time she never experienced any love she got so hurt by the time she was 18 she just took off and left home met a guy up in Canada here I mean there and uh, got married and she was pregnant with her second child by the time they got to my office and she was eight months pregnant and uh, really came to a point of resolving that issue with her mom and her dad and the spiritual abuse and she was dominant at one percent she was so controlled and uh really came together and he resolved his issues and they really got connected got to near the end of the week and she says i'm really afraid of something i says what's that she says well when we had our first child the my mom and dad came up from the south and uh, stayed with us to help us with the baby and my husband went off to work and uh, my mom and dad cornered me and just started hammering me with all the same stuff that was so painful growing up and I just I just died all over again inside they're coming in two weeks again now here's a fresh heart that just got free and and he was really there too and I said I looked at him and I says I, I want you to handle this with your in-laws okay you can't you can't allow them to keep controlling the way they are you need to put a stop to this and, and it, it's so much of this depends on how you do it you can't guarantee any kind of response from this from your mom and dad but you know what in a loving way in a godly way you need to put a stop to it now here's what I would like you to do I said to him I said I want you to phone your mom and dad up your mom and dad-in-law and uh, I, I want you got to be in your heart you can't have any anger you got to be totally in tune with God and and be prayed up to prayed up about this and but here's what I want you to communicate to them mom dad uh, we're looking forward to having you come up next uh, next couple of weeks and but there's something I wanted to talk to you about before you come the last time that you were here uh, I went off to work and you really cornered my wife and really kind of laid on her some of the things that she grew up with that was very painful and and we respect your convictions about some of those things but you know she's my wife now and we formed our own family unit and we have to wrestle with those things before God and so we, we've come to our own convictions about some of those things and so I, I know there's she's still your daughter but if you come would you promise me you wouldn't do that anymore would you respect what we have come up with as far as convictions before God And I said, if, if they fudge a little bit, when I say fudge, I mean, well, all we were saying was, oh, they're not getting it. And they're going to come up and they're going to do the same thing. If that's what they do, then you need to say something like, well, mom, dad, it's probably best if you don't come. We'll bring the baby down as soon as we can and, and we'll let you uh, enjoy your, your grandchild. But probably best you don't come it's the way you do it well that couple left and I never saw them again never talked to them again but two weeks later I got a call from her mom <laughs> and they booked in for counseling they didn't ask any questions they didn't say anything they just booked in for counseling and I knew that he had called and they did get it they did get it subtle and uh, at that time we were booking about uh, about two years and uh, so two years came around and 
And so we phoned them up about eight weeks ahead to make final arrangements. And they said, well, we forgot to phone you. We're not coming. We phoned Colorado and got in on the cancellation there. Best thing we ever did. And they thanked me. And that's how that story went. I still haven't talked to that couple that I canceled yet. But um, I think you have to put a stop to that kind of stuff. But it's so critical the way in which we do it. Well, what are the pain words associated with uh, dominance and control? Well, assertive, bossy, controlled, dictated to, forced, pressured, walked on, manipulated. And what kind of prayer would you lead someone with who's damaged by control and dominance? Jesus, I was so hurt by my dad who constantly controlled me, making me feel frustrated, angry, and defeated, or whatever the situation is with the couple you're, person you're dealing with. Jesus, would you show me what that did to my heart? Could you heal my heart from that? What would you do with that, Jesus? Could you make a safe place for me to go whenever I feel like somebody's controlling me? Or a prayer to resolve damage that I've caused others? Jesus, I've damaged my wife by constantly controlling her. What did that, what did that do to her heart? Better to have Jesus show her that than you tell him. How could I make that right with her? Have I asked her to forgive me for that? What caused me to be controlling? Could you break that pattern in my life? And lead them to freedom that way. Then there's affirmative affirmation words that go along with this. Being cared for, listened to, understood, being open to. Understand the person. So we have to evaluate ourselves. Did I get damaged by control like that? Have I damaged someone else that I need to make right? I controlled my kids the way I was controlled. I had no idea I was doing it. And I've had to go to my own children and uh, restore things with them. Well, that's dominance and control. We have a uh, few minutes left before dinner. Does anybody have any questions or comments that you want to ask? Not saying I can answer them, but I'll take the question. <laughs> yes. Explain the best way to contact a son who's been dominated and rejected. Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure you've come to grips with it in your own heart and uh, you've repented of that to the Lord and, and you're free from that and free from the damage that whatever caused you to do that. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with kids, your own children, you're going to have to play that by ear. I, I think... Generally speaking, one of the best ways is to look for a window of opportunity. You could just phone them up and say you want to talk to them, but sometimes that doesn't work. They just get their, they just get their back up. So if you wait for an opportunity to, uh, to move in and just start talking to them that way, you know, son, God's been doing a work in my own heart and uh, share some of the damage that you experienced and some of the pain that you've experienced. And they're going to realize you're in your heart. And that's going to be something brand new. And uh, sometimes they'll just crash because you start talking about what you've done to them 
in a humble way and not in any way blaming them, but just owning that and, and approach them with humility, uh, they could just crash and have a great reunion. Or maybe they're not ready. I encourage people who have children that they've damaged, it's going to take time sometimes, so don't get impatient with it and just let it take time. I mean, it, it just takes time sometimes. When I came back from Colorado, I knew I had to reach my 14-year-old daughter. I mean, she was, she was not doing stupid things or crazy things, but she was so angry and just had a wall against me uh, 10 feet thick. And I knew I had to reach her. And I waited for an opportunity. And I, I, I saw the opportunity, and it was just me and her, and I thought it was a good time just to go to her heart. And I started going to her heart. I opened my heart up to her, and I just started moving toward her. And she looked at me, and she said, don't you give me that counseling voice. I had a tender heart. I mean, my heart was locked intellectually for all those years, and I come at her with an open heart. If she'd have taken a dagger and put it through for me from front to back, it would have felt better. And I... I had to get out of there. I was two things. I was extremely angry, <laughs> and I was so hurt. But I, I didn't blame her. I mean, I, angry, yeah. I had to go just deal with that on my own. I didn't blame her for that. But that was really hurtful. And uh, I realized I have damaged her so much. I gotta, I've just got to be patient. And I just kept doing that. I had, to find, I, I had to find out, okay, uh, I, I got to start taking interest in my daughter. I mean, from when she was a little girl, she would say, Daddy, 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 I want a horse. Can I have a horse? Can I have a horse? Daddy, I just want a horse so bad. And I'd say, do you know horses eat like horses? I would just slough her off like that. But she loved horses. So one day I said to her, Another opportunity, I says, you know, you, you've been talking to me for years about wanting a horse. Uh, you know, if we were ever to get a horse, you'd have to know how to uh, look after one, because I don't know how to look after one. I says, why don't we find somebody around here who uh, has horses, and we could... We could um, Maybe get a job there for you, and you could clean some stables out and get free riding lessons. And she's looking at me. Okay. <laughs> she was she was so guarded. We did that right around the block from us. Never even knew it was there. And so we got her lessons, and she got some experience with horses. And then we found out about a Miracle Mountain Ranch in uh, Pennsylvania. Here, anybody know that place? It's, it's, a, it's a place for uh, a camp for kids, and it's about horses, and got her connected there. And I got I to say this. We, it came time, I phoned down to the camp, and I said, we want to come down, and just, I didn't want to send my daughter to a place I didn't know anything about, so we took the time, we planned to take the time, a day and a half to come down, look at the camp, and get to know the people there, and arranged all that, set a date for it. As the date got closer, we were... Uh, you know how you set dates ahead and everything jams and you get so busy. And so my wife and I are in the kitchen working out how we're going to make this work as the date got closer. And it was a little frustrating. And so we're working that out. My daughter's in the next room. She's hearing us talk. And she says, we don't have to go, you know. You know what I heard? As soon as she said that, you know what I heard? I heard, am I important enough that you're going to keep that appointment? Oh, I'm so glad I heard that. I think God just gave that to me. And I said back to her, I says, uh, Amanda, we're, we're going. I mean, we're, we're just, 
we're just working this out. I know it sounds fresh. We're just working it out. We're going to go. She says, no, I don't think we should. We're going. She says, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I just, yeah, we're going. And we went. We drove five hours from our place down to Pennsylvania. She never said one word to me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I had a hard time reaching her. And, um, but we just knew love never fails. And I didn't, and I want to say this, I didn't do everything right all the time. I would hurt her again. But I always go back to her with an open heart and I'd, I'd make that right. Well, God used different circumstances and one time she was down in the States, some of her friends she met down there a couple, three years, four years later and God gave her an eye infection. Or God gave her an eye infection. She got an eye infection, however you want to say that. It was so bad, she phoned back and said, Mom, Dad, I got an eye infection. And we just thought, well, get some stuff at the drugstore. You know. But no, this was such a, an intense infection. In 24 hours from when she got it, her whole eye was ulcered over and she was blind. And then we realized before that what, what was going on. So he says, you get to a hospital right now. And so she, they drove her to a hospital and there was a specialist standing an eye specialist standing right, happened to be standing <laughs> right in the doorway and took her in. And they said another four hours and she would have lost the eye. It was eaten right through. She's still blind in the one eye, but it, but it did heal. When we found that out, I canceled all my counseling. Just walked away from it and cared for her. And I think God used that more than anything else. That I would just walk away and tell the people, I can't, I can't counsel this week. So we just took off down here and got her and got her to a specialist in Canada and um, got all that looked after. And, and that really spoke to her. So you're dealing with kids like that, it's, uh, it can be a hard thing. Just don't give up. You can do it. Just keep your heart open. And let God lead you in that. Time for one more question. Father, we do thank you that love never fails. And there may be others here right now that have sons and daughters who just need healing. And I pray that you will give each one grace for that. Because your will is that healing does come. Lord, give us a sensitivity. Lord, we do ask your blessing on our time now as we fellowship around food. And bless the food to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.